They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery. The sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, a sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. A thousand miles between her and Neil, Sandra could finally heal and get in touch with herself. Although it was immensely difficult to be away from her children, and Neil continued to attack her in any way he could. He had badmouthed her to every business and social colleague they had known together. He sent her threatening letters, left nasty voice messages, and worst, he tried everything in his power to separate her from the kids and even turn them against her. Despite all this harassment, Neil had mostly lost his power, and Sandra was beginning to rebuild her life. The Story of Sandra Marie, Episode 8, Into Being. I moved in with Beth, and I enrolled in the Santa Monica School of Massage. And Beth's house was in Pasadena, and I had to drive to Santa Monica every day on the freeway, so I got used to to California freeways very quickly. And when I graduated from the massage school, I got jobs instantly. I could also do private massages. But then the Burke Williams is a massage spa. It was the first one in LA, and it was in Santa Monica, but they were opening another one in Hollywood. And it was perfect timing, and I found out they were doing that, and so I applied, and I was lucky enough to be one of the first ones. There was like 15 or 20 of us that got hired all at the same time because they were opening it up, and I was one of the first, and I worked there. I loved my job. I also did private clients, but I absolutely loved massage, and I loved massage school. It also showed me the more Eastern way of religions that I'd never thought of or been around. And I think it was the beginning of my spiritual journey. Probably the divorce was the beginning, but I didn't know it. But massage really started to open my eyes. And um, I took some Reiki classes. You have to take continuing education classes so many a year to keep your license. And so I would take lots of different classes and lots of different subjects, but I, I didn't even know what Reiki was. But I took a Reiki class, and uh, I took Reiki 1, and that really showed me, that was a very interesting thing. Um, it showed me, opened my eyes to things I had never any idea of. When I was in Reiki 1, in Reiki, they give you an attunement so that the energy can flow through your body and through your hands. And I thought, okay, I don't know exactly what that is, but okay. And they tell you all about Reiki, and there's a whole series of things the class is about. But at the end of the class, there were six of us in the class. And when you get your attunement, you immediately need to put your hands on somebody so the energy can start flowing through. And the, the Reiki master told us what was going to happen and so she gave everybody the attunements and then we we're going to take turns laying on the table and we were all going to give the same 
each other energy and we'd all stand around and so you had six pairs of hands on your body and the teacher always did the head because in the master I was at she didn't believe that Reiki one student should work with the head and you had to be in Reiki two to do that so she she did the movements on the head and during the attunement my fingers and the palms of my hands were just radiating. It, I never felt anything like that before in my life. And that was the energy starting to come through my hands. And then when I, we were putting our hands and sending and letting the energy flow through our bodies into the other person, I took my turn at that. And when it was my turn to be on the table, and they start on the front of your body, you turn over and they finish on the back. So I was laying on my back and the teacher was at the head and I could feel all the different hands on my body. And some, one was on my feet and, and two, two people were on each side of me. And it was feeling okay, you know, it felt good. And then all of a sudden, I felt another pair of hands touch me on my heart chakra. And I opened my eyes, and I looked to see who was doing it. And the part of the person laying on the, the table, our job was just to close our eyes and enjoy the experience. Well, I opened my eyes and lifted up my head a little bit to see who was touching me. And the teacher said, your job is to relax, lay down, put your head down. And I said, I can feel another set of hands on my heart chakra. And she goes, oh, that's all right. That's just the Reiki guide. And I'm going, Reiki guide? What's a Reiki guide? Uh, I can't see it. Is it an angel? What have I got myself into? And all the Mormon things are coming in my head. And, oh my goodness, this must be of Satan. You know, there, there's some invisible being touching me and I can feel it. And I was really shook up about that. And <laughs> the class was over and, and I went home and, and then your whole body kind of changes. And I got physically ill because of all the energy that was going through my body. And then I was psyching myself out of what was a Reiki guide. And, and I was just freaked. And for about six weeks, I didn't feel good. But then I decided to do Reiki too. And that's a whole nother story, but I was more interested. I didn't get sick after Reiki too. And I realized that Reiki guides are the guides that help us do Reiki. And they're angels. They're basically like an angel. But Reiki is a very calming, good energy. There's no bad energy in it. And it helps people heal in many, many ways. So I've come accustomed to the Reiki guides in my life. I, I talk to them and pray to them before I start a Reiki session. And there were different years. It took me several years to become a Reiki master, but I also became a Reiki master. But that was the first time in my life that I thought of or felt that there could actually be angels and different forms of energy that are flowing through us and that we have at our access if we want to use them. And they're not hurting us. They're, it's a good thing. But it was kind of really interesting. It kind of was the first part of opening up my eyes from being a very, very staunch, closed, secluded conservative Mormon and then other elements but that was the beginning of my spiritual journey and my 
healing. I had to have a healing of coming out of the marriage. And that took several years before that was completely gone. Just saying the words, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, felt good. But being in a relationship with a woman felt totally natural. It felt invigorating. I, I felt like I was finally who I, who I was. And I felt like I was almost like honoring myself for the first time in my life. One of the things in the marriage, Neil always used the word, lesbian and he usually usually called me a fucking lesbian and uh, uh, I remember one time I told him when you were very small he was still always when he got mad he was always saying that and I said I said to him once and that probably was a mistake because he probably used it even more but I said Neil if you ever tell my kids and yet he's doing it all the time so I don't I don't know why I said this but if you ever tell anybody or my kids and I'm a lesbian, I think I'll kill you. I'm just, I don't want people to know that I've worked so hard to, to not be a lesbian, you know? It, it gave him ammunition, and he used it. But then when I decide to come out and accept who I am and not believe that I'm gonna go to hell because of who I am, it didn't bother me anymore. And I remember the first time your father would always call me, still ranting and raving about something and always swearing and cussing at me and telling me horrible things. And he called me a effing lesbian. And, and I said, yes, I am. And I'm so proud of it. He never did it again. He just lost his ammunition, you know. And so it doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me that I was a lesbian. And it was very different, but very fulfilling. The first time I went to a gay pride, we went to the Long Beach Pride and I went with Beth. I was so excited to be there because it's totally fenced off. The normal public can't come into the pride area unless they buy a ticket. There were the, the hate haters and the hardcore Christians outside of the gate where you have to buy the ticket. They were t with big huge signs saying you're gonna go to hell and that kind of stuff. But I was kind of used to that. But when I got in there, it was everyone was holding hands. They were showing affection, not bad affection, but just affection, and they weren't being spit on or cussed at or people rolling the window down saying, saying bad things at you or anything like that. It was just so freeing, and I was so excited to be able to do that and feel comfortable. And then I met a lot of other lesbians and uh, gay men. I went to the the Gay and Lesbian Center all the time and took different classes and and there was even a social group where you could go and, and just talk and be around people and everybody take turns talking and getting to know you and it was just so that you could have friends 
and anyone was welcome, lesbians, gay men, transgender, anyone was welcome. And so I got to get to know them and to learn more about their lives. And I just felt comfortable. So I would take lots and sorts of classes there. And it was very freeing. When I first got to L.A., I was in massage school, but I also went to abused women clinic, and some friends of mine told me that I should do that. And so I went there, and when you go in, they gave me a little booklet. It was probably about an inch thick, and the title of it was, How Can You Tell If You're in an Abused Relationship? And I read that booklet and read all the other stuff about it, and realized that every question, they said, they asked all these questions, and every question I said yes to. And, and a lot of those questions I didn't even think about, that, oh, does that mean I, oh, that's not, a, that's not a normal behavior, you know. And so I learned a lot, and I went to therapy and to group sessions, and I learned a lot by listening to other women's stories. And these weren't gay women. These were just abused women. And then I decided I needed therapy, Mostly I needed therapy because I'd left my children. I wasn't around my kids, and that depressed me immensely. I missed them horribly, and the few phone calls at the very beginning that I did get wasn't enough for me, you know. And so I knew I needed therapy. So when I went to therapy, my th one of the things I remember my therapist told me is that until I can improve me, and that's going to take a while, I'm going to keep attracting abusers in my life. And uh, I did. The first, besides Beth, Beth and I didn't last very long because she was around when your father was absolutely, totally insane and dangerous. When I moved to L.A. with her, he hired a private detective to follow me around and try to see if he could use any information in court. He threatened her. We had to get a restraining order. They wouldn't give me a restraining order on him because I, there were children involved and we had to trade them. So she got a restraining order on him so he couldn't come to her apartment. But because of this, she didn't want to be involved with me. It was too frightening, you know. So she pretty much insisted that I live on my own and move and get an apartment. And I found an apartment in North Hollywood. And then I only had to drive over the hill to Hollywood to go to work. And I loved living in North Hollywood. But because of that, she and I had broken up. We were still sort of friendly, but she really wanted me to go and get a life of my own and find out who I was. And, and so that's what I did. And the first few girls, girlfriends that I had met along this process were abusive. Uh, one was more abusive than the other one. The first one wasn't completely abusive, but super controlling, and, and I just couldn't handle it. And I was going to therapy, so the therapist is pointing out the signs, and I think, okay, so I'd break up. Then I'd find out another one. And then the second friend that I met was like Neil in women's clothing. And the funny thing is my kids liked her. You guys liked her. And 
that only lasted a little while because she was very, very abusive. And I thought, I'm not learning anything. I just attracted another very abusive person, you know. And so I I had to keep going to therapy. I read lots of self-help books. I delved into my spirituality more. And it took me time. It took me a lot of time to think positively, build up my vibration, and not allow people to treat me badly, and to love myself. The whole thing is about self-love. I had totally been beaten down to where I didn't love myself. And it takes time to love yourself and to know that you are a good quality person and you don't deserve the crap that these people are dishing out. of two days isn't nearly enough time to hear all the stories Sandra has to tell. But we did our best to cover as much as we could. Because my mom is in the process of writing a book that focuses on her experience going through conversion therapy, and because Neil somewhat recently passed away, we chose to make those stories the focus of this series. So as our time together grew near to a close, I thought we would fast forward many years in time and I'd ask my mom how she met the love of her life, and a little bit about where she is now. In therapy, because I was just so broken up and thought I'd lost my kids forever, that kind of thing, the therapist said, first off, try as hard as you can not to say anything bad about their father, because they'll hold it against you. And second off, your kids will come back. They will see what's going on, and they'll come back to you if they're not there now. And uh, and that's true. I have a loving relationship with all my children, and it's so exciting to me to know that I didn't, I didn't have to badmouth their father. A couple of times I did, a few times, I would say something bad because he'd do something that just make me so angry. Uh, but I didn't tell lies about him and uh, I tried not to badmouth them. They they have their own relationship with their, their dad, and that's okay. But they have a loving relationship with me, and that's all that matters to me. Eleven years after the divorce, I was, you know, I was trying actively trying to find somebody, and I was online at the match.com, and I met the love of my life. And I'd already become more spiritual and open-minded because one thing that I forgot to mention is that when I divorced your father, I also divorced the LDS Church. I was as mad at the LDS Church and at God at that point in my life as I was your dad. I was very angry at them because I thought, look at all the stuff I've done in my life to try to do everything they told me to do. I go through all this therapy to try to undo who I am. And I think God told me that I was supposed to marry Neil because I had another mission to fulfill. And he gives me an abusive man. And I blamed him for it. And then I go and ask for help over and over and over again. 
and the bishops tell me I've got to change so my husband won't beat me. So it's like I think they're the culprit just as much as he is. And so at that point in my life, I didn't want people to talk to me about God. And so that brings me to meeting the love of my life. Luckily, I had softened before I met her. It, it was 11 years. And I think I needed that 11 years to be able to be open to what was going to come next in my spiritual growth. Because the love of my life happens to be a New Thought minister. She was, a, she was in minister school when I met her. And I was on Match.com trying to find someone that it was compatible. And on Match.com, you put a little statement out and you say something about yourself. And when I read that, and she didn't have a picture, I had no idea what she looked like. But what she, she said really caught my eye. And I said, this is a very interesting person. I think I, I want to get to know her. And so I, can't, I winked at her, how they do it, and then they wink back, and then you can actually email each other a little bit. And we emailed each other for weeks because I wanted to be very careful because there are a lot of crazy people online, but it's also a lot safer than going to bars and trying to meet somebody. And I didn't want an alcoholic or anything like that, so I didn't want to go to the bars. So we emailed each other for quite a while, and then we decided to uh, call each other on the telephone and so it was a couple of months before we really met each other. But the very first day I met her, even before that, our phone calls, I just knew I had a connection. But she told me she was in minister school, and I backed up. You know, it was like, she, it was on the phone when she told me this. She didn't see me back up, but I just, I backed up. I thought, oh no, I do not want to be involved with a minister. And. Then I told her, I said, oh, I don't know if this is going to work then because some of my past, I'm not so happy with God. And she goes, I'm not the kind of minister you think I am. I'm not a dogma. I don't have a lot of dogma. I'm not in a, a normal organized religion. I'm a new thought minister. Religious science at the time was the name. They, the organization eventually changed to spiritual for, Centers for Spiritual Living. Because religious science, everybody was always asking them, are you a Scientology? And they're not, but they retired to the question. But because of her teachings and her wonderful, positive way of thinking, I, she said, just, just come to church one time and see what you like. If you like it, fine. If you don't, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens then. But when I went to the church... She wasn't the minister then, but I, I met the minister and listened to the talk, and, and tears actually came to my eyes when the minister was speaking. And I said, wow, a loving God? A God that doesn't judge you? A God that isn't vengeful? A God that isn't full of fear? I said, okay, I think I, I, think I, can, I, I can be in this relationship because... This is God of love. I think I can maybe, possibly, handle this. And so I was open to it, and our relationship grew more, and we've been together for 14 years now, and she's a full-time minister, and our life is very happy. We have a, a lot of 
happy, positive thinking experiences. And we love each other. We try to build each other up. We don't tear each other down. Sometimes we have disagreements, but that's one thing we don't do. There is no abusive disagreements going on. Uh, I do I do laugh that some of some of my kids think that we're uh, yelling at each other, but but we're both going deaf, and so our TV is on as loud as it can go, and and we have to yell at each other so that we can hear each other. But it's not a yelling that's uh, full of anger. So that's basically where I am now. My life is happy, and I'm and I'm now in a position where I feel comfortable enough to finish this book and this journey that you and I are going to be going on together. And it makes me very happy, and I'm excited about the, the upcoming years of creating something together, maybe. My siblings and I grew got married, and together have an adorable and diverse bunch of kids. And although we aren't perfect and sometimes have some pretty nasty tempers ourselves, we are dedicated not to bring the abuse we saw as children into our families. Sandra is the best grandma you could imagine. As you've heard, she has a warm, kind, and loving voice and a contagious laugh. She also gives the best hugs. There is never an excuse for abuse. It needs to be addressed the first time it happens, and it is far more common than we'd like to imagine. About a month after our interview, in the middle of the night, with the full moon and pouring rain, my daughter came into the world. And similar to what she's done with my siblings, my mom dropped everything and rushed to the hospital to meet her. We gave her Sandra's middle name, Marie. And while the perfect sun came in through the hospital window and lit the scene of my mother holding my daughter for the first time, a familiar thought passed through my mind that I periodically have grappled with. I would do anything to somehow travel back in time and rescue my mother from the suffering she endured. But maybe she did have another mission to fulfill. Sandra Marie. The final episode. Our two days together comes to a close and we wrap things up. I asked my mother her words of advice for those stuck in abusive relationships and for homosexuals or transgender people caught in conservative and judgmental environments. Also, we give thanks to our supporters and listeners and discuss the future. Stay tuned. <laughs>